Football, football, football fans, you have come to the right place. It's the podcast, Pete Forsey. Thanks for choosing the show. Sean Payton has had his rights handed over to the Denver Broncos. I'm kind of curious how this works. He's now traded to Denver, or he's still with the Saints, but now they've worked out compensation to have the rights to negotiate, and now Sean Payton has to negotiate with Denver. It's all going to get sorted out. He'll be coaching the Broncos. We'll talk about it. D'Amico Ryans is going to go to the Texans. NFL referees, why you need to give it up. Stop investing your emotions in it. Jalen Hurts, going to say a lot of nice things about him and his ascendance. He has proven me to be dead wrong on a lot of things, and I'm going to give him his due. The Chiefs, they had a legacy game. Legacy, decade, statement-long game, and I'll tell you why. And then the coaching carousel, as far as head coaches, Frank Reich, uh, coordinators, Kellen Moore, and Nathaniel Hackett. We're going to talk about all of it. It is episode 108 of the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. So it was just a mere hours ago that I think it was Schefter dropped the news that Peyton will be traded for from the Broncos. They gave up a first-round pick, the one that they got from the Dolphins in the Bradley Chubb trade. And that was actually the pick that Miami got for Trey Lance and the Niners giving them that pick to move up in the 2021 draft. I always love going back and looking at those things. And it's actually even more tangled up now because some coaches, minorities, when they're hired away from teams, that team that they were originally with, they get draft pick compensation. So it actually even adds more to it. And I love going back and looking at that stuff. And this is a strange one. I think Sean Payton makes any team better that he is the head coach of, unless you're coming off of Bill Parcells, a Belichick, or uh, Mike Holmgren, whoever. I mean, Payton's going to be a Hall of Fame level coach. Do I think he's a Rushmore coach? No, but he's definitely like a Dan Reeves, a uh, 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 Don Coriel, uh, former Cardinals head coach, St. Louis Big Red football Cardinals. I think he's going to be in that realm. So just a, a top NFL coach in the history of the game, he'll be a Hall of Famer, maybe not a Rushmore Hall of Fame coach like you will see with with Tomlin and, and Belichick and such. So, you know, the main things that I look at with this one is, can he coach outdoors? You're going from a dome and with a quarterback who, he didn't have a giant arm, he could make some deep passes, but intermediate short game, that's where they made their living. And they were damn good at it. And you have a high-level quarterback made of high-level intangibles. Family man, not out late, first in, last out, union guy, and Drew Brees. Now you're going to legacy, brand, has security at his own golf tournaments with a guest list that he invites The guy is surrounded by his entourage to make sure that nobody gets too close to him. Russell Wilson's a different cat than what Sean Payton's used to. It will be interesting to monitor how those personalities mesh. And on the field, I'm sure he's got great ideas on how to scheme up the offense, have the team play complimentary football, and how to uh, refurbish Russell Wilson. I definitely think it's possible, and I definitely think they'll have success. They're in a strong division, maybe not as strong as we thought. Definitely like the Chargers and Bronco or uh, Raiders still, and Chiefs are headed to the Super Bowl. But I don't think it's 
too much for him to overcome. I, I remember putting it out on Twitter when his name surfaced in the first round of the playoffs. You know, I, I'm, I'm surprised he really entertained this as much as he did and ultimately is landing here because it, it's just real different when you're going from coaching in a dome having your roster built around that, and then going to mile high, you're at altitude, and you're playing in the cold, and the snow, and the wind, and you're going from a no-nonsense, serious, great teammate, great leader to prima donna Russ. It's going to be a big, big adjustment for Peyton, and I think, if anything... It really shows you where coaches come from. They come from the competitive spirit. They're not so much looking at, oh, what's the easiest route to the Super Bowl? They look for the challenge. This isn't about getting paid. Sean Payton has made, what, maybe close to $100 million? I don't know what his salary was. Reportedly, it's in the ballpark of $15 million when he was with New Orleans. He's not doing any of this for the money. He's got a Super Bowl. I don't think it's necessarily about winning in the next year or two years. He wants to look at something as another 10-year project. And Denver, it's going to be a situation where I don't know if they're going to win immediately. They may not start winning until year three, and maybe that's what he's looking at here. I think it is curious based off the adjustments of what he's used to conditions-wise and what you had available or potentially available next year with the Chargers because they are in a dome and they do have a quarterback who guys like and doesn't have any leadership qualities that are in question and Justin Herbert. He really seemed primed for that job and it looked like in the matter of the last week or so, that's where he was leaning. But he's now landing in Denver. Again, think he makes any team a better team when he's the head coach but looking at the climate and where that quarterback is at from what he's coming off of it's going to be an adjustment for Sean Payton now the next one is the Houston Texans who hired D'Amico Ryan's 49ers coordinator to a six-year deal it was like Kyle Shanahan who he was just working with he asked for a six-year deal to know that he's going to have guaranteed time to build this program and when you're the head coach that's coming in after the previous two coaches got fired after one year you're typically going to be pretty safe because the owner is going to want to see it through the third time for a second consecutive season so D'Amico is going to live for two years minimum here but one thing that the Houston fan base and more so the players can rally around is that they're getting a player's guy this guy played as recently as 2015 I was in college when that was going on that that's not that long ago though you know when you say it out loud it makes you feel pretty old and makes it seem like a a distant memory but this guy has only been coaching since 2017 when Kyle Shanahan went to the Niners so his football experience from a coach's perspective pretty minimal and from a staff perspective I I think you're gonna see some outside the box hires I know there was the tweet from J.J. Watt it kind of looks like is he gonna be on staff in Houston after he just retired probably don't see that happening because I know he's cited wanting to be there with his new kids but 
you know, D'Amico's going to have some challenges, and he's going to be working with Nick Casario, who is just, you know, a, a type A New England bred type of football coach who's, you know, got his binoculars up in the box, and he's, you know, coaching essentially from the press box on game day, which maybe D'Amico looks as a plus. But when you talk about the Houston franchise that had the, the weird stuff going on with the general manager and, uh, uh, and the cha- uh, team chaplain who's doing football stuff, but then he's in the locker room preaching before the games, and then he's bending the ear of Cal McNair. And then you have Deshaun Watson, who's sleeping with every massage therapist in Texas. And then you have the death of the owner, the late uh, uh, Bob McNair, who had the prison comments. You just got so much chaos the last few years. And I know a lot of those players are not around, but the Texans, with all their losing and all that extra drama going on, it's just kind of, you know, has this this stench of that where where careers not go to die, but you just you get lost in a, a puddle of losing. And, and if you go there, nothing really good happens. And the head coaches they trade away the star wide receiver for a second round pick, and you just don't really have anybody fighting for you. I know that Brandon Cooks wanted to be traded last October. Didn't happen. So now that you got D'Amico Ryans in there, a guy that played as recently as 2015, ascended up from quality control coach to defensive coordinator, spent two years as a coordinator, and now is a head coach. And you got Shanahan, and you got the players vouching for him, uh, including Richard Sherman, who's as big a player advocate as there is in the NFL world. This is a huge W for the roster. Is he going to be good at commanding the room? My guess is probably. Is he going to be good at scheming? Is he going to be good at uh, game and clock management? I don't know. But what the players can hang their hat on is that they have a guy that was in a locker room, some of them with D'Amico Ryans in 2015, and he knows what it's like to be going through a 17-week schedule. So with that, I think he'll have a collective unit. He'll be able to command the room, and that's a great start for a first-year coach, especially one who is inexperienced from a coaching standpoint. So to grade the hire, to be determined, but from an organizational standpoint, it sounds like they're going to have a guy who can actually get this thing off the ground with the Texans. I found it really comical that while watching the Eagles Niners game that we really got cheated out of Brock Purdy's hurt and you know you you just see them throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage every play they don't have anybody on the roster that can throw a forward pass Eagles going to the Super Bowl congrats to them they earned the number one seed they earned their way to the Super Bowl but they had a pretty easy path in that last game so you know, it was a disappointment on Sunday, but the main thing that led us to the better game was the fact that the bad call started in that Eagles Niners game. And I tweeted it out at Pete4C. For those that are not following, you should follow. I live tweet every in game thought that I have, and I post it there. And you should comment and follow and let your friends know that we watch every NFL game every year guaranteed and I I was posting that 
there's going to be bad calls in the Chiefs Bengals game. Accept it, move on, understand that it's part of the game. And it's just so confounding to me that people continue to get unrest, but unrested by these officials that are guaranteed to make mistakes. They are guaranteed to physically and mentally mess up. It happens every game. And the funny part is that the Chiefs are feeling slighted in some way because they feel like that you know they've earned this victory and it's been taken away from them because of what people are saying about the officials. It's like, really? That that's making you upset? If that's making you upset, then your your vulnerabilities and your security about yourself is pretty low. The Chiefs should just be happy and celebrating that they're going to a Super Bowl. Instead, they're trying to validate that the refs did not give them any handouts. Every game has handouts, whether you're the Chiefs or whether you're the Bengals. I'm always the one to be a proponent of you should always be able to overcome the officials. There are very few games. You can count on one hand how many games the officials actually cost a team. Most of the time, the team should have been able to overcome it before or after the call in question. And it's strange that the tolerance for replay, the tolerance for errors is at zero. Everyone will point to the one call when typically there's several because they're able to see frame-by-frame snapshot reviews of each and every play in question. And they'll get on New York NFL replay official that's in his air conditioning room at Park Avenue. They'll get on him because he didn't review the play soon enough and determine that it needed to be taken uh, a review at from the on-field crew. That's what was happening in Philadelphia. Fans were clamoring. Fans were upset because Devontae Smith got up, punched his knuckles, and they were able to, to move on to the next play. The guy's human. The replay official, the judge in New York, is human, just like the rest of us. That's not enough time to review it and decide what's conclusive and if you need to buzz down to the on-field crew. I get it. They got up to the ball too quick. Happens. Happens every game. In the Super Bowl, probably will happen again. Though we do see they typically swallow the whistle in the Super Bowl. You get away with a lot. You just hope that that's the case here in Super Bowl 57. So more NFL official stuff. The tolerance is at zero. People are still letting their emotions get way too out of whack with this. I've been watching this same officiating for the past 15 years, and it's all the same. It's not that great because it's a hard job. It would just be great if everybody could move on and accept it. I will be the first to admit Jalen Hurts has ascended far higher than I ever thought he could. So maybe he does become a true drop-back passer, just like he did all the things that I said he could not do. I never thought he could be a quarterback in the NFL. I saw him at Alabama, and I saw someone that could not throw a forward pass, much like the uh, Niners offense on the other side of the field that he was playing against on Sunday. That's what I saw. And then he went to Oklahoma, and you saw some kind of like Dak Prescott-type play against you know the Big 12 defenses. And I was like, well, I'm not going to put too much stock into it, but he looks like he's throwing the ball, spinning it a lot better. Then he got this quarterback coach after the draft and continues to work with him to this day. I forget his name, 
but I do know he revamped his mechanics so much. I, I thought it was a different human when I saw him throwing footballs in the NFL when he first came into the league in 2020. And he, he definitely, when he throws the ball, he's got some good accuracy. He's been playing a lot of football, son of a high school football coach. He's got good instincts. Jalen Hurts has surpassed all of my expectations. And the other good thing is he's a good guy. I remember when Sirianni was uh, in his face screaming at him late in the year in 2021, last year, and people were kind of freaking out about it a little, a little as, as far as the media thinking that he's you know, showing up as quarterback and, uh-oh, is there strife between the player and the coach? Then you go to the press conference and you hear Jalen Hurts talk about how he liked it. He enjoyed getting yelled at because that's what he's grown up with, with his dad and being a football player his entire life. It was refreshing. I like him as a guy. He definitely seems to be made of the right stuff, unlike a Russell Wilson or, or a Baker Mayfield or, or whomever, who's clear and obvious they, they got some some uh, some intangible issues. But I still think he needs to take that next climb, whether it's Super Bowl win and just demonstrate it in this game, he's got to take that next climb to actually being able to throw from the pocket when your team's losing, when everybody and their dog knows that you're going to throw the football. Because right now, they're running an offense that is similar to Oklahoma's. It's very basic reads. Half of the field is cut in half for him, so he can just read that, and then if the play is not there, he takes off. It's very Robert Griffin III-like. But he is gifted physically. So maybe he can do it because every step of the way here, I never thought he could play the position. I never thought he could start. I never thought he could win games, but he's done all that. Now it's about whether win or lose this Super Bowl, when everybody knows you need to throw, a.k.a. losing situations, a.k.a. when you don't have the ground-and-pound run game, when you don't have those good offensive linemen like Philly does here in 2022, can you win? That's what's going to make you worth $40 $40 million a year that Jeremy Fowler at ESPN is throwing out there. Because if I were the Eagles, and that's what Hurts' representation is looking for, huh? sorry, I'm not doing that. I got to see more. And you know what? This is really just the natural thing with most quarterbacks. You don't always demonstrate in your first two years of starting all that you can do or all that you need to do to earn a contract like that. Not everybody's Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. Those guys earn those contracts because, man, they checked off every single box. That's why we're so wowed by them. That's why they receive $50 million a year, whatever the top of the market is, because they are that talented. Jalen Hurts, pretty talented, great athlete, but he just hasn't demonstrated yet. Maybe he will, but that's why I'm balking if I'm the Eagles. Even if he wins this Super Bowl game, you got to consider the path. You got to consider exactly what he did on the football field. And it goes beyond touchdowns and completion percentage and yards passing. It's all beyond that. You dig granular beneath the surface level, and you'll see there's still a lot that he needs to do before he earns that big money. As I said in last week's podcast, the Kansas City Chiefs, that is a legacy game right there. More so than the Super Bowl win if they get against Philadelphia, unless it's some incredible game. That game in Arrowhead hobbled Mahomes, hobbled Travis Kelsey, 
Burrowhead, the Cincinnati mayor, everything. That was a organizational dominant victory in all facets. He's down to his his last three receivers, MVS, Sky Moore. You have these seventh-round picks. There's like three of them on the Chiefs' field, offense and defense, and they're kicking ass and taking names. And Mahomes is, is throwing off his front foot, moving in the pocket, and, and getting yards, moving the chains. It wasn't a pretty game. It wasn't a perfect game, but it was enough. And that's what the great organizations do. That's what's made New England New England, and that's what's made Pittsburgh Pittsburgh because even when things look kind of uh, grim, when you do have a hobble QB, can that guy still be better than the opposition at 60%, 70%, whatever the hell it is? And Mahomes and Andy Reid, they proved that. They did. And I didn't pick him to win. I didn't think he would be good enough to go, but he certainly was. And maybe the ankle sprain wasn't that bad. Sure, it looked like it was when he uh, uh, got ran up on a couple of times. Looks like he was limping around. He was in some pain uh, after maybe the injections are wearing off. That that was a statement victory that perhaps over the next 10 years, we're just going to be looking at the team 10 years from now as that's going to be the team that's still humming, that still has the same head coach, still has the same quarterback. Because, you know, we get into these situations a lot where we say franchise guy, he's going to be there the next 10 years, he's their quarterback. We said that with Goff, said that with Wentz. And, you know, a lot of times it doesn't work out. They get traded away. They flame out. You got to move on because their play's not that well. Baker Mayfield. Happens all the time. Deshaun Watson. Guys switch teams all the time. We quickly anoint that that's going to be their their legacy player. I think Mahomes, he cemented it long ago, but now we're looking at it as they're always going to be winning games because they can win in any way, shape, or form. When they have the best roster with Tyreek Hill or Kelsey, when they have to shed salary, when a player's hurt. What an absolute statement by the Kansas City Chiefs. I will preview the Super Bowl next week and kind of my thoughts on players to watch, things to think about, and my ultimate pick. Um, I'll do that next week. But for now, I'm just going to hit on some other coaching maneuvers around the league, not necessarily head coaches uh, uh, solely. But we'll begin with Frank Reich. And the Panthers, they got an offensive coach, a guy that obviously can galvanize the locker room. You saw those Colts teams. They always started notoriously slow, but then finished hot, and they made to the playoffs a couple of times. And he did it with a new quarterback each year. That's not easy to do in just preparing a new quarterback each offseason to start. Frank Reich, he's obviously played in a lot of big games, played on great teams, played the quarterback position so he should and does know how to do that now it's about do you know how to have the tough conversations with players do you know how to really just do business because the thing with Frank Reich is that he pretty much just pounds the table for every player he loved Carson Wentz he loved uh uh Matt Ryan he loved um uh, uh, Philip Rivers. And there were questions uh, at, at times for each of those guys, maybe not so much Rivers, but should he be playing? And he does the same thing with skills guys as well, as far as his running backs and Naheem Hines. Sometimes you, you got to step away from the field a little bit and let your gen- general manager know, we suck in this area. We have to replace this guy. 
we have to get better. You need to get me better linebackers. You need to get me better offensive guards, whatever it is, because he's kind of fully immersed in the offense and, and you know preparing the team to play and then calling the game. But it's all facets of the roster, knowing what you need, and then knowing on defense who you need to get. Because Matt Eberflus, he's a good head coach so far in Chicago, done a better job than I thought. But that guy ran the same plain Jane defense, cover two, the entire time in Indianapolis. And it contributed to their kind of shaky records, to their slow starts, to them just kind of eking into the playoffs. Can Frank Reich have a tough conversation with his coach and say, you're fired? Because it sounds like he's just this, you know, choir boy, everybody loves him, always positive, and he's just not approaching conflict all that well. And that's not just having conversations with your players when they're pissed off they're not getting the ball. It's when they're not performing well. And it's making sure that they're off the roster the next year or off the roster by October. And that's the challenge that I see with Frank Reich and the Panthers. Now, the other one here is going to be Brandon Staley and the Chargers now have Kellen Moore. My goodness, what a tag team of just absolute arrogance. Because Kellen Moore is just not arrogance in the sense that you know he treats people that way, but he clearly seems to have his idea on how offense should be run. And you mix that up with Brandon Staley and his analytics, I don't think this is going to be good for anybody. Not Justin Herbert, not for Kellen Moore's career, and certainly not Brandon Staley's career. From the onset, I think this is going to be very, very bad as far as how they approach this next season. And then you got Steve Wilkes going to San Francisco now that D'Amico's hired. You know, Wilkes, raw deal. The Panthers didn't even want to interview him, and if I'm him, I'm kind of pissed off about that. But it just goes to show that each owner, they, they kind of got their way of, of how they want to hire. And clearly, Tepper wants an offensive guy to pair with, hopefully, a future star quarterback. So if I'm Wilkes, I'm hoping that this doesn't leave a black mark on my head coaching candidacy in the future because I already had my player, DJ Moore, take off his helmet when we should have won the game earlier, which led to a loss. And now I'm getting this screw job. Yeah, like if I'm him, I, I'm ticked off at the Panthers that I even get a, a fair shake at interviewing. Now, the other ones out there, there there's going to be more. I know Nathaniel Hackett got hired by the Jets. Just a typical Jets move, trying to bait Aaron Rodgers into forcing a trade or even Green Bay making calls. So he goes to New York like Favre did with the Packers um, uh, several years ago. I, I don't see Aaron Rodgers wanting to go to New York. I really don't. Aaron Rodgers is going to want to go to a situation where he doesn't have to answer to all the BS. Like, Aaron gets mad about the media in Green Bay, in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. How do you think he's going to deal with the New York media at Florham Park with the Daily News and the New York Post and the countless others that are going to be staring at him at his locker room? You think Aaron Rodgers wants to go to Gang Green? Like, you have to be a moron as the Jets to think that luring in Aaron Rodgers is as simple as getting Nathaniel Hackett. Basic logic tells you that that's not happening. Subscribe, review, share with your friends. 
Share with your enemies. Share with everybody. It's the podcast, Pete Forsey, talking all things ball. We appreciate you listening, and we'll see you guys next week giving out our Super Bowl predictions. Thanks so much. We'll see you then.